0: Thank you for joining us for this week's podcast of the Sunday Morning Sermons of the Bullard Church of Christ in Bullard, Texas. We hope you'll be blessed, challenged, and encouraged by today's lesson. To be together this morning, we're so blessed to be able to uh, assemble together to worship, to see one another, encourage one another. And we're so glad that you are here, and we're so glad to have those of you who are joining us online as well. We continue our study in the gospel of mark today and at the end of chapter six as we saw two weeks ago jesus has uh, just healed a lot of people in the small town of Gennesaret Uh, they were coming from all over they were lining people up just to be able to even touch the hem of his garment as they most likely heard uh, about the lady who had been bleeding how she was healed and so he healed People all in that area. But while he was there, the Pharisees, we find in chapter 7 at the very beginning, we learn that the Pharisees and scribes uh, have come from Jerusalem, which was a long trip. They've come up from Jerusalem to check out this Jesus who's becoming so popular, so widely known. They've got to go and send people from Jerusalem, the main city, They've got to send some people to check this guy out. But what we learn is, and what we see throughout the Gospels, is that they weren't really trying to figure out why is he so popular. They weren't trying to get to know him. They were trying to catch him, to trap him in breaking the law of Moses, which is what Jewish people followed. They wanted to find fault in him some way in which he has broken the law so that they could convict him and get rid of him. And we see over and over again they tried that. They would challenge him. There were times when he had to slip away and uh, get away from them. But they were after Jesus and always uh, coming at him. In verses 2 and 4, 2 through 4 of chapter 7... Mark tells us that the Pharisees and scribes came and they saw that Jesus' disciples had eaten with defiled hands. They had not ceremonially washed their hands. This picture here is a, a modern day picture. Uh, ...from uh, Jerusalem where they have fountains there so you can ceremonially wash your hands. It wasn't about germs. Those were not the, that was not the concern. These were ceremonial washings. And uh, from what I understand, they would take the special uh, cup and they would fill it with water. And uh, in some cases, if not all, the water was specially purified water... And they would take the first uh, one with their left hand the first time and they would pour it over their right hand. And then they would take the cup with their right hand and pour it over their left hand. And they did this before they ate and they would ceremonially wash other things, other items, their dishes. And Mark says even their furniture. And so what we see in verses 3 and 4 is Mark is writing to Gentiles... And so they don't know all this Jewish, uh, the Jewish traditions and customs. So you see sometimes where he explains some things to help Gentiles understand. And that's good because that helps us understand because we wouldn't have otherwise really been as clear on this. Look at verses 3 and 4. For the Pharisees, this is in parentheses, for the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly holding to the, notice this, tradition of the elders. And when they came from the marketplace, they did not eat unless they washed. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. That would be the furniture. So notice something here, that the custom was not, Mark does not say to Gentile readers that this was the law, that this came from the law of Moses. What does he say? That this comes from their traditions. These are the traditions of the elders. You might see it uh, referred to as the oral law. It wasn't written down till uh, uh, a long time later when this oral law, law these traditions of the elders... Had been written down and recorded, otherwise they were just until then they were passed on and these these really were what they also referred to as fence laws. They built a fence with these customs and traditions around the law of Moses, and the reason they did that really, if you think about it, was a good intention. I get why they did it because they said, if you stay out here outside the fence, you won't get anywhere close to violating the law of God. That's a good motive, I think. But Jesus says it's not so. He's going to show them some things about their heart uh, as he addresses them. Now look at verse 5. We see again in verse 5 when the Pharisees confront Jesus about this and they ask, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but they eat with defiled hands." So, like I said, over time they developed more and more of these oral laws, these oral, these customs and traditions. And they were, and everybody, every Jewish person was supposed to follow them. And they were supposed to keep you holy. They were supposed to keep you right before God. If you followed these, you're really devoted to God. In fact, you're righteous before God. And we think of Paul trying to get it through people's heads in his letters that it's not about following that, it's not about your works but it's about what Jesus has done. And so being that they were human beings like us, what do you think happened with these customs, these traditions over time? Like a lot of things, we, we, we come up with a tradition and it's for good reason. But over time, it becomes law, doesn't it? It becomes right and wrong. I, I, I understand, I see, there, there's good reason behind the thinking of if you're preaching or serving, at, serving communion or an elder or teaching class, you ought to wear a coat and tie. I, I get it. I, in fact, I like wearing, wearing ties. I like wearing suits. But, but that's a tradition. And there's many, many others. And what happens over time, we make those right and wrong. A woman wearing a dress to church instead of a pantsuit or something like that. I don't know all the terms to women' women's clothing. There's something called a blouse. I'm not sure where that goes or what it is. But women have to deal with the same thing, right? And so those things that, that probably meant, I mean, originally we're like, hey, we're just trying to do our best and be presentable and be nice. I get it. But they become law and they become, well, you're not faithful to God or you don't love God or you're not as righteous as me. Look at me, you see. We do that, don't we? And that's exactly what had happened uh, over time with their oral traditions, their, uh, the customs that they practiced. And so it's important to understand that Jesus and his disciples were not breaking the law of Moses, But Jesus didn't have time or interest in following all of their customs and traditions that they had come up with. He was, though, very concerned and serious about the law. In fact, he says in some places, I've come to fulfill the law, right? And that's exactly what Scripture teaches. Now look at how he responds to them in verses 6 through 13. And he said to them, well did... Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. He's talking to Pharisees and scribes, lawyers in the law. That's who he's talking to. And he quotes Isaiah and he says, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about y'all, as it is written, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You Look at verse 8. You leave the commandment, that'd be the law, the commandment of God, and hold to the tradition of men. Over time, the, the, they took the law here and the traditions here, and this is what happens. Why? Because that's what people do when we take our eyes off of the Word of God and prioritizing it. And look at verse number 9. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your own tradition. Hasn't man in the religious world, just look at what a fine job we've done of establishing our own traditions and customs and what's right and wrong and how we think and what we like and what we, the way we think it ought to be. We've done a fine job of that over the years, haven't we? And that's why our call is to just follow the New Testament church, the New Testament pattern, and what does the Bible teach us? What does Scripture teach us? What would God have us to do? Look at verse 10. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. That was the old law. But you say, verse 11, if a man tells his father or mother, whatever you would have gained from me is korban, that is given to God, set aside given to God, so I can't take care of you in your old age, and your sickness, and your, your feebleness. I can't take it because all my money that I've earned, I've set it aside for from God for God and see that was oral tradition that was customs that developed over time that's not what the law said the law said take care of your parents in their older age then verse 12 then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father and mother thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you've what handed down not the word passed on to you but your tradition you've handed down and then Jesus says and many such things you do (laughs) so he took something Isaiah said about his own people the Jewish people the Israelites of their time and he said that about them because of their faithfulness at the time and Jesus says yeah and that applies to uh, the people who are supposed to be God's people today that applies to y'all too the Pharisees, and the scribes. Now in verses 14 through 15, Mark tells us that then Jesus turns and he calls the crowd back to him. Uh, We can imagine him on the... Uh, there in Gennesaret, it's a very small town. And the Jew, the Pharisees and scribes have come to him. He's kind of turned to giving them his attention. He's talking maybe more privately with them. But then he says, y'all, y'all come here. I've, I've got to teach y'all something. I need to tell you what I was just talking about with them. And he says, hear me, all of you, and understand. Verse 15, there's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. Now he's referring to food. What do you eat? You eat the right things and all that. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. Now he's not talking about health. He's talking about the old law and the designations of what uh, God's people could eat and could not eat. Okay? Now in verses 17 through 23 then, Jesus goes into the house where they were apparently staying. And the disciples are like, uh, Jesus, we don't understand. We don't know what you're talking about. And we would be the same way. And see, this was, they knew these customs. They, they, knew, this, they this was generation to generation passed on to them. That's all they knew. And Jesus is saying something that's not what uh, mama and grandmama and, and grand, great granddaddy and everybody and all of them, what, what they all taught and what, how we've all grown up. This is different. Jesus, I, I don't know what you're talking about. And so this was just a 180 for them. And so we we can have some some sympathy with them and how difficult so many of Jesus' teachings were. Even to view him as the Messiah was so different than everything they comprehended beforehand, beforehand. And so they don't understand. And then Jesus challenges their faith. And he says to them, "...then are you also without understanding?" Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him since it enters not his heart see how he's he's going further in this metaphor not his heart but his stomach and is expelled he's saying you eat stuff and it goes in and out right He's saying, what I'm talking about, the heart. Now he's getting to where he's going to, right? He, and, and, and that doesn't defile you. And so Mark again puts in parentheses for Gentiles, thus he declared all foods clean. Now we see that played out in the book of Acts, don't we? We see that played out throughout the, the, the letters that Paul and Peter wrote and in some of their interactions. That that at that time, that's what Jesus was saying, but people didn't even understand that, even his own disciples. Peter was right there, and Peter struggled with the foods, clean and unclean. Remember his vision in Acts. So Jesus uh, goes on to say, challenges them. Look at verse number 20, and he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man comes these things, evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. It's not if you poured the water over your hands before you ate and it wasn't talking about germs. It's not if you didn't follow these rituals, these ceremonies. It's not did you, did you eat the right thing, did you not? It's not this oral stuff, these traditions y'all have been practicing. That's not it. It's not even what the old law commanded anymore because Jesus came to fulfill it and bring forth the new covenant and now it's all in him and now it's no longer external. Now it's internal and Jesus is dealing with the heart. And so the Pharisees and Jews, they believe that their cleanliness externally, their traditions and ceremonies, they made them righteous before God. They made them sinless before God. And Jesus is saying, that the way you wash your hands and what you eat is the least of your worries. That's not your problem. That's not where your sin comes from. That's not how you stay sinless before God. The problem is the defilement and pollution inside your heart. Let's think about that word defile. It means to make common, uh, to make unhallowed, to pollute, to desecrate. Those are some strong words. And when we hear the word defile, we may not realize that's what that means. It's to pollute it. We all understand pollution. You're not going to drink dirty, muddy, nasty uh, water, are you? You want clean, pure, fresh water. That's what you want to drink. And so we we understand that. And so Jesus is saying, look at these terrible things that come out of of your hearts. Look at these evil things that come out of of human beings. You think washing your hands and what you eat is of any of God's concern? No, I'm here as the Son of God to say what, what comes out of you is what matters. And he lists these 13 things, and these 13 different things certainly aren't a complete list, but he's kind of covering everything there. And he's saying, yeah, this is what comes out of you, and these defile you, these make you sinful and unclean, these pollute you, and all of these things, some you can tell more so than others but all of these things are seen and played out in public aren't they all of these sins that jesus uh, uh, gives that he the examples he gives they're all things that that other people see that even harm other people and he's saying what comes out of you matters and for the christ follower what comes out of us matters what how how we live out our life our faith in this world and and interact with this world matters if we're going to claim christianity so we then have to ask this question like they would be asking there in that crowd like the disciples would were learning If everyone has sinned and everyone's heart is defiled by sin and polluted, and and, and this is the condition we're in, then then what can I do about it? How can I get clean? Is there any way to uh, purify my polluted and defiled and unclean heart? And that's what we want to uh, 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 wrap up with today. Now, did you notice how many times... In chapter 7 so far, the word wash or washing has come up. Even at the very beginning, the the Pharisees were using that word. Look at verse number 4. The Greek word used for wash in verse number 4 is baptizo. Immerse, submerge, plunge. It... That's baptism. That's that's the word the Pharisees used. And and so that was commonly understood because they they used that word for things that went under the water. And and for some things, that's how they ceremonially washed them. And then in verse 3, Mark uses a different Greek word for wash. It means to cleanse, referring to the washing of the hands because they would pour water over their hands to make them ceremonially clean. They weren't dipped under, but they were poured over. That's a different Greek word. It's interesting that that's the same word that was used to describe Jesus washing his disciples' feet. And then he said, go and do likewise. He poured water over them. He washed them and made them clean. But turn to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9, 11 through 14, the author writes, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means, that's talking about the old covenant, the old law with the Pharisees, Uh, thought of, what the Jewish people at the time practiced, Uh, but not by those means, but by means of His own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Verse 13, for if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling, there's another word for wash, of who defiled persons, with the ashes of a heifer, sanctify, purify, cleanse for the purification of flesh. If, if they did it under the old covenant, because that's what God had established, and it was temporary and it had to be repeated over and over again, as the Hebrew author describes, look at verse 14. If that worked then in those circumstances, how much more? An important phrase in the book of Hebrews, how much more, because it's all about Jesus, is better. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, look at the word, purify, to make undefiled, to make pure, to to cleanse our hearts, how much more will His blood purify the defiled hearts to make our, our polluted, dirty hearts clean again? How much more will His blood do that? Purify our conscience from dead works to serving the living God. You see, the Pharisees believe that their outward cleansings made them sinless before God. And Jesus is saying, it's not the outward washing. It's not the outward, uh, whether it's pouring, whether it's immersion. And isn't that interesting that we see in the Old Testament, in the Old Law, and in their, even in their traditions, the foreshadowing of baptism in the New, in the New Testament? The baptism that Jesus would bring, except there's a major difference, isn't there? Uh, 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 Mark starts off and John does too, telling us it's a baptism of repentance. But in the Old Testament, in the Old Law and their traditions, it was always an external cleansing, wasn't it? And yet in the New Testament, it was internal. It's the washing and cleansing and purifying of the heart and the soul and the life and the standing of uh, uh, our standing before God. It's a different kind, and yet we see it foreshadowed. Look at what Peter said in 1 Peter 1, 22 and 23. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Verse 23, since or therefore because you have been... Born again, our mind thinks of John three, three and five. You can't enter the kingdom of God until you've been born of water and the Spirit. Well, where do we see water and Spirit? Acts chapter two. What do they do when they repent? When their hearts have been pricked and they realize what they've done, what's come out of their hearts? He says, "Here's what you do. You got to, you got to make contact with the, with the water. You've got to be born again to be in the kingdom." Look at, back to First Peter. One twenty-three. since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding abiding word of God. Peter wrote that when a person becomes a Christian, their souls are purified in Jesus. Peter says, now, since you've been born again. Titus, uh, Paul wrote in Titus 3.5, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness. Who was doing that? The Pharisees and and the Jewish people before they, uh, those who turned to Jesus, their understanding was, well, you got to do all these ceremonial washings and they make you righteous. And, And Paul's saying, no, that's not the way it is anymore. Not under the new covenant with Jesus. He saved us, not because of any of that, but according to his own mercy. How? By the washing. That's the same word there, but it's a different washing, remember? Here's how He saved us. By the washing. What kind of washing? Of regeneration. Your translations may say uh, a new life and a new birth or renewal of the Holy Spirit. And He says this salvation is done through a washing. That when you go under the water in baptism and you're united with Christ in His death, burial, resurrection, Romans 6, that, that God is taking that, that polluted heart under the water. And in the, I think the King James in Colossians, he calls it an operation. And He takes you under that water and God washes your heart. And remember, uh, uh, was it Paul that said, what are you waiting for? Arise? Or what they told him, be baptized in what? Wash your sins away. God washes you in the bath of baptism under the water spiritually. And you come out in that, with that new life and new birth with that pure and clean heart. So in verse 23, as we close, Jesus is teaching that... He's teaching us about these things that come out of the heart... But there's something to understand because our first reaction would be like, yeah, but those things are out there and they tempt me. You see that all those, those different sins that Jesus listed, yeah, but the, those tempt I mean, I can't help it. I mean, they're just, it's, it's just so uh, appealing. It just pulls me in. I, I can't help myself. Well, Jesus just said, oh, yes, you can. He said the problem is not the temptation that's out there. And, and there's, that's legitimate. And you may very well have to make some major changes in your life. You may have to change something or someone in your life. You may have to change a habit or a routine or, or, or a friend or a job or a city. You may have to make some major changes in your life in order to get away from that temptation that's being there. As long as you know there's still another one around that corner you know, after you make that change. It's always out there wherever you go. Jesus is saying the problem is not with the temptations out there. The problem is the weakness and sin that's in the heart. And you've allowed it to get, uh, you've allowed it to get polluted and dirty. And, and, and just like a smoker's heart, just like a weak heart, that doesn't give you the strength you need to fight off the temptation out there. You want to deal with the temptation out there, deal with the heart that's in here, and let God work on that heart. So we can't blame the external. We need to look on the inside and realize that it's only through Jesus that we can truly address the problem. See, we can't blame all the symptoms and all the yeah buts out there and all the excuses. That's what we want to do. We've got to attack the problem and blame the problem. And to do that, we need to raise our hand and say, yep, it's in here. That's where the problem is, and start there, and let God deal with the problem of sin in your life, and that will help take care of the temptations out there. It's only when we, by being in Christ that we can die to our sin, get that new mind, that new heart, those new passions, a new purpose, a new life, and an eternal home in heaven. So let me close with this. If you're already a Christian... And those temptations out there have been winning. And you look at yourself and you realize, I, I'm like the Pharisees. I, I've just been kind of going through some motions and, and, and kind of telling myself that's enough. And I realize that that ain't enough. That doesn't cut it. That, that doesn't work. I've got to deal with what's in here. And you're already a Christian, and so you've already been, been baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins. You've been given that new heart, but but you, you've been letting that water get polluted. You've been letting that heart get, get a little dirty in there. And you need to return to God and ask for prayers. Ask, and re- that's what repentance is. It's saying, clean it again, God. Please clean it again. It got dirty again. Maybe you have not been baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins. For forgiveness, And your heart has not yet been made clean. You're trying and you want that, and now you understand how to get that. And maybe you're ready to do that. Maybe you're ready to start talking to somebody about that. You're ready to study about that because you know that's what I need in my life. That's what's missing. The behavior modification might be necessary, but be- behavior modification doesn't save your soul. Changing a friend doesn't save your soul. Stopping a habit doesn't save your soul. Only Jesus' cleansing and washing on the inside does. If we can help you this morning, we're here for you. We invite you to come forward as we stand and sing. We thank you again for listening today. If we can answer any questions for you or serve you in some way, please reach out to us. You can find our contact information and more on our website at bullardchurchofchrist.com. If this lesson has helped you, please rate our podcast and share it so more people can hear the Word of God. And please, come visit as soon as you can. We meet on Sundays for class at 9 a.m., worship at 10 a.m., evening worship at 5, and Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. God bless you.